You're listening to the North Peace Roundtable podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Episode 85, wow. Portland. Can't believe it. We did it. I want to just start celebrating every episode like it's a huge milestone. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is. We came up with another That's idea true. to talk about. <laughs> we could. But uh, thanks for tuning in. If you're new to the podcast, like the intro said, we try and do this roughly once a week. Well, once a week. Uh, we're professionals. Once yeah. a week. <laughs> and talk about different questions that people send in or topics related to the Bible, Christianity. And so we have one uh, question that came in, and then we have like a backup topic in case the first question goes really fast. And we're like, well, that was done. This was an eight-minute podcast. Yeah. <laughs> So um, one of the listeners, uh, basically, uh, it's not really a question. It's more just like a topic. Can you discuss this? Yeah. And so he asked, uh, he was reading about Melchizedek in the Bible. And it was basically like, the question, I guess, is who is this guy? What's his purpose? Why is he in the Bible? He seems like he's slightly important, but then there's not a whole lot about him. Like, can you just talk about like... Is there something I'm missing here or who is Melchizedek? And some of you listening, maybe you're like, who? Yeah. What? <laughs> is this one of those obscure people in the Bible that we don't know a whole lot about? And well, kind of. So uh, Melchizedek is mentioned in just a, a handful of places, yep. really. Um, yep. Genesis 14 is the biggest narrative about him. And then he's mentioned in one Psalm. And then he's mentioned in Hebrews a couple of times. Yeah. And then that's kind of all we know. So I'll read the Genesis 14 one. It's um, the story, if you remember, um, Abram and Lot are kind of, you know, traveling to where God wants them to go. Um, They just separated. So if you remember the story, Abram and Lot, they're looking at all the land. And Lot's like, I'll choose to go over there. Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram, okay. And then Lot um, gets captured by these kings, right? There's this battle and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And Lot gets captured. And then Abraham goes and uh, we don't talk about like Abraham is pretty like hardcore. He goes yeah, and he rescues is. Lot. There's this battle. He saves Lot. And then in Genesis 14, uh, starting in verse 17, this is what it says. Ab- or After his return from the defeat of Chedor Laomer great names healthy names and the kings who were with him the king of sodom went out to meet him at the valley of shaveh that is the king's valley and here's where we get melchizedek and melchizedek king of salem brought out bread and wine he was priest of god most high and he blessed him and said blessed be abram by god most high possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be god most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap of anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshol, and Mamre take their share. So I even read a little bit more. Yeah. But all we have about Melchizedek, like who he was, is just those couple of verses. Okay, some he's guy a high priest. Some guy named Melchizedek, he's the king. So he's a king of Salem, which most scholars are like, that's Jerusalem. Yeah. He's king of Jerusalem, comes out, brings bread and wine. Yeah. And we get this little parenthesis. He was priest of God most high. And then Melchizedek blesses Abram, and then Abram 
gives them a tenth of everything. So for the context for the people, is this before or after they're like priests in the line of like... Before, way yeah. before. So that's kind of an interesting point. We have a priest of God Most High before there was priests of God uh-huh. within the temple or the tabernacle. And you anything. have a priest who's also the king, which yeah. the priests were not allowed to be kings. Yeah. That, that Those two positions never crossed paths yeah. until Jesus. So then you have all sorts of... Interesting little clues that I've seen. Oh, he brought bread and wine. It's the first communion. (laughs) Or Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Tithing. Yeah. So you have lots of like little interesting things that you go, is this? Is this about communion? Is this about tithing? Is this about a priest king? So then, so if you just flip, so Psalm 110 is the other place in the Old Testament that mentions Melchizedek. Yep. I won't read the whole thing, but this is a messianic psalm. It's about Jesus. It's looking forward. Like the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make um, your enemies your footstool. And Jesus quotes that. And then it says um, in verse four, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. So you go, okay, there he is mentioned again. And he's talking... Like that psalm is talking about Jesus saying, you, Jesus, are a priest forever. And it's fascinating that he doesn't say after the order of Aaron. Yep. Yep. The, the line priest, that we'd expect. Yeah. Aaron is from. the priestly line. But no, you're a priest after the order of, Mel- of Melchizedek. So you yep. go, okay, hey, that's interesting. Yeah. And then I don't know. Do you want to go to Hebrews? Yeah. So then in Hebrews, uh, I don't actually remember exactly where it starts but in hebrews chapter 7 is is a huge section on on melchizedek yeah uh and it is yeah it starts out kind of the same as what we hear in genesis is this melchizedek was the king or was king of city of salem and also a priest of god most high when abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the king uh melchizedek met him and blessed him then abraham took a tenth of all that he had captured in the battle and gave it to melchizedek to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice and the king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, mm-hmm. no beginning or end to his life. <laughs> he remains a priest forever, resembling the son of God. And then it goes on yeah, yeah. for even more. But yeah. I think that that's a, a pretty good right there. That little piece is kind of a, a pretty good indicator as to why he's actually even important in this story at all. Yeah. I'd say. So, yeah. And he's mentioned in Hebrews five too, just in case people are wondering, but it's just a very quick mention. He's it's talking yes, about Jesus right. being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's just mentioned. And then, yeah, we won't read all of, of Hebrews seven. Yeah. There's a quite a bit. It talks about, you know, Abraham giving a tenth of his spoils. And uh, it says in verse 9 of Hebrews 7, one might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestors yeah. when Melchizedek met him. Yeah. So like, okay, Levi was, that's kind of graphic. Yeah, he was kind of sperm. He was there. It's just kind of in his in Abraham's seed, yeah. loins there. It's just like, ugh. And then later on, it's Jesus my little heading in the Bible, it says Jesus compared to Melchizedek. Yeah. And Hebrews 7 goes goes on for kind of the whole chapter, just kind of doing this comparing, right? If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there be for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? So if the Levites and the the 
the priests in Aaron's line were perfect. Why do we need a priest from yeah. Melchizedek, this mysterious figure? Like, yeah. So I, I think, too, there's there's a an important symbolic nature wh- why they're using Melchizedek because yeah. of his uh, unknown beginnings and his unknown yeah. ending. Like in, in the... And from my understanding, what I've looked into, the the way that this is written would would really emphasize this like no beginning, no ending, and Jesus is like that, and he's our high priest and king, right? So when they're when they're drawing comparison that he is of the line of Melchizedek, it's not that Melchizedek is the genealogical uh, parent, yeah. so to speak, of Jesus. Like if you trace his lineage, you can't because you don't know who came before him, and we don't know who came after. Yeah. Because there isn't anything recorded. And Jesus is like that. There is no king greater than Jesus. There was no king, no Lord before Yahweh, right? So it it really draws on those par- parallels. And so then for him to be compared to Melchizedek is really within that mm-hmm. that realm. It's not to do with a scientific, biological, he is of this line. He is passing down that baton. It's that it is symbolically, they're like, hey, he's like this guy that we know of already. Yeah. So can we... When it talks about, okay, he doesn't, like in my ESV, I don't know what you read from. NLT. (laughs) But in Hebrews 7, verse 3, talking about Melchizedek, it says, He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. So, what it like is it saying that Melchizedek is some kind of like supernatural That's a good being? Is he an angel? I've heard people say he is Jesus. He's a pre-incarnate uh, appearing of Jesus oh. in the Old Testament because it says if you take that face value, he has no beginning or end. Well, that's God. You can't say that about a human being. Yeah, he doesn't have a mom. He doesn't have a dad. He has no genealogy. He literally appears for a couple of verses and then you don't hear anything about him ever again. So is that what it's talking about? Or is this just like a guy who was a king of Jerusalem before Jerusalem was Jerusalem and who was a worshiper of God most high and a priest. Yeah. And he's just like a kind of a symbol of, okay, look, there's someone coming who's kind of like Melchizedek, but way better. Yeah. Or I, do we know? Like it's one of those. <laughs> I I don't know the answer to that question. I think I would probably lean more personally, at least from how I understand how scripture is written, at least in the context of, of Hebrews and, and speaking of Genesis. I would say it's probably more literary design of, of not like it, it very well could be practical fact that the authors didn't know his genealogy. Mm-hmm. But therefore, if it's included into the, the text, I would personally interpret that as as the fact that they are trying to to talk about this mysterious being who was fulfilling these roles uh, yeah. and now Jesus is the ultimate fulfiller of these things and, mm-hmm. and again it's like a hey you look at Jesus we should recognize this it's it's been uh imperfectly mirrored somewhere else right like yeah. there's there's someone else that Jesus is actually fulfilling that role even better. So mm. that's what I would take it as, is literary design of them really drawing on the the no beginning and no end type thing yeah. uh, to, to point to Jesus more so than I would towards that it was Jesus. But I don't, maybe the Hebrew grammar in Genesis has hints towards what it is. I yeah. don't know Hebrew well enough to know. I, I don't think he's a pre-incarnate Jesus. Um. Because we see pre-incarnate Jesus throughout the Old Testament. He's the angel of the Lord. We see yep. that over yep. and over and over again. Um, 
And I don't think Melchizedek is some kind of like Superman, super powered creature or, or whatever. I, I think you're right that in Hebrews, like what would you say about someone that you literally, he has no genealogy, no record of his birth, no record of his parents. You would probably say something like that. Yeah. He has no mother or father, no genealogy. Yeah. It's very poetic to say like, if I, if I met you and I'm like, I don't know who, who, there's no record of Corlin's parents. There's no record of his birth. And then after that, there's no record of his death or anything else that he did. I would yeah. probably be like, how do I say this in a poetic way? Well, he has no mother or father or genealogy. He had no beginning or end. Like yeah. we don't know anything about him. Yeah. So I, I think that Melchizedek was a human man yeah. who was the king of Salem. Um, it's always funny for me to say that because that's where my wife was born in Salem, Oregon. So oh. I'm always, it always like, <laughs> it's like it just makes me feel weird. Like, We're not the, Mormons. He's the king of Oregon. He's the king of Salem who was a priest. And there's this element of like mystery. We don't know anything about him. And I think you can get into danger when you're like, let's dig in and crack the code. I don't think there's any code. Yeah. I think what you have is in the Old Testament, you have this this person who's a symbol, a pointer to, man, we need another. It's a foreshadowing. We need, yeah, foreshadowing. There's this priest king, and Jesus comes, and he is the ultimate priest and, king. And, and think of it too, Abraham, the, the person that God has appointed to be the father of the nation of Israel, is serving and, and giving yeah. to this high king yeah, priest, right? Totally. So we might be like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. Abraham's supposed to be the leader, and yet he's doing this service to this high priest king figure, totally. right? So I think there there's tons of symbolic stuff in there. Um, I think the the thing that's important, one of the things, not just the thing, one yeah. of the things that's important to remember when you're reading scripture and you read about a character that is, uh, there's details left out. Sometimes it's just, I would argue, because they're not of the utmost important importance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the other times, I think it's actually really important to to take time to meditate on why those characters would be there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying whoever asked this question that they haven't med- meditated on scripture or asked why. I mean, obviously they're asking why. Right. But biblical authors wrote very differently than what we are used to today in our modern culture. I, I always try and remind whoever I'm talking to about this because yeah. in our culture, if you think of reading a narrative story any any good story there is so many descriptors of absolutely everything because the authors are trying to draw you into this the world of the character that you're reading this point th- that you're reading the stories from the point of view of right so there's there's like they'll let, name everything from the colors of the wall to if there's beads of humidity dr- dripping down the walls to if your hand was sweating as they're going to reach for the doorknob as sue joe bob like looks over and gives you like every single detail as if you're living that experience is is written out for you to have in your imagination. When we come to scripture, it's not written like that. It's it's an ancient eastern document. We mm-hmm. we can't uh, we can't assume that they just didn't know those details. It's mm-hmm. that often the authors are leaving those things out so that it causes us to actually I, for lack of a better term, I would say artistically look at what the passage is trying to convey, what, mm-hmm. what the scripture is trying to convey. So again, we look at someone like Melchizedek, historical figure. We don't know his lineage. So of course they're going to use words to, to describe mm-hmm. that like he's without beginning, without end type things. Yeah. Right. Uh, and it, it should cause us to, uh, 
characters like this should always cause us to look forward to, well, have I seen this again? Do I see this again? What's, what's happening here? Mm -hmm. Um, because even, even if you read a book like Esther, the amount of foreshadowing or, or callbacks to other parts in scripture, uh, is, is huge, right? It could be a really confusing story if you got dropped in and, and didn't have tons and tons of details Mm because there isn't like an incredible amount of detail. And yet when you look at some of the, the points that connect the uh, Tim Mackey uses a term hyperlinks. So when you read a word, it would like trigger uh, the thoughts of other places that that word and that concept right. that is built by that word are triggered by other points in the Bible. And I think that's what Melchizedek's story should do for us is it mm-hmm. shouldn't, like you said, there's no code to crack of like, well, if we figure out who this Melchizedek guy yep. is, then we'll really understand scripture. I think the idea is that, to understand who Melchizedek is, you have to look at Jesus because Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, like the whole point of part of Hebrews is he's saying that Jesus is the high priest of this new covenant. And it's almost like, I mean, you can see some of the arguments that, well, what right does Jesus have to be a high priest and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and even uh, we didn't read it all, but, you know, in verse 15 of Hebrews 7, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. So you go, priests in that day, you became a priest because of legal descent. You descended from the priests. So it would be like, if in our day and age, it would just be like, oh, the next pastor of the MB Church is Andrew's son. Yeah. Because he's he has a legal descent. That's Oliver. He's the he's the next priest. Yeah. And I love that Jesus doesn't come from the line of Aaron. He's not legally a descendant of the the priestly family. And that's why it's just so amazing when when the author of Hebrews goes. That's actually not important. What's more important? He's from the line of. He's from the the. Um, uh, he arises in the likeness of this mysterious, yeah. Melchizedek. And yeah. that's why they stay, they say things like he had no mother or father genealogy. I think purposely we don't know anything about him because it's kind of like, yeah, he's he right the, by the power of an indestructible life. There's so much mystery around him. What's more important? Like, yeah. So it's yeah. just really cool how the the Bible introduces this character that we don't know anything about besides like a few small little details. So I think yeah. when we read Genesis 14, we should not go <gasps> bread and wine. It's communion. We should just go. They, ate br- they, they that, ate bread and drank wine and, all the and time. Is it potentially interesting foreshadowing? Sure. It could be, but I but, think we, I think we, the, the danger is missing the main point by going, Oh, a 10th of everything. Oh, <gasps> tithing. I should give a 10th. No, I don't think it's about tithing. I really don't. I think yeah. it's this Jesus like character. Yeah. Thousands of years before Jesus and Abram recognizes, okay, there's something about this priest. I got to give him a 10th of everything like and honor this priest king that is of the priest of the most high God. It's, and then we don't hear anything about Melchizedek until Hebrews, which, yeah. So you know what it reminds me of, as I was thinking about this last night, um, if you've read Lord of the Rings, um, not in the movies. This is only for people who are like true to Tolkien who have actually read it because oh. he's not in, like this character is not in the movies. But Tom Bombadil, uh, yes. 
if you read the the Fellowship of the Ring, the first book, you're introduced to this character named Tom Bombadil who kind of rescues the four hobbits from this tree that's kind of trying to swallow them and blah, blah, blah. And then they actually, for like two chapters, you read about Tom and they go to his house. And he's this really fascinating character that we don't know a whole lot about. You know, he's just kind of like, I've always been. And he dances around and... And he puts on the ring of power and he doesn't disappear and he just laughs about it. And he's like, whatever, it's just a ring. And as a reader, you're like, what? Yeah. Everyone who touches the ring goes crazy and disappears. And then they leave Tom Bombadil's house and they go on and you never hear about it. It's like, huh? Yeah. And it just reminded me of that because I know, I read some stuff online because I'm a nerd and, I, and about <laughs> Tolkien and people would write Tolkien. Who is this guy? Why isn't he more in the book? And it's, and he never gave an answer. He was just kind of like, eh, well, you never know. And I know it's not the same thing, but it just reminded me of like, here's a character in a different book that you're like, we're introduced to him and then he's gone. And he seems to be fairly important. The, the ring of power has no control over him. Yeah. Why isn't he included more? And you're just kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's an element of Melchizedek where you go, why isn't he included more in the Bible? He seems like such an amazing character. Yeah. And yet you go, we're just given these like little pieces and you could spend days trying to crack yeah. the code. And, and it's, it's no futile. Code. It's just kind of like, here's an, another example of everything in the Bible points to Jesus, including a guy that appears in the Bible for three verses. Yeah. And we know nothing else about he's about Jesus. Yep. So I think that's just, that's the cool part of yep. Melchizedek. So you should read Lord of the Rings. It's a great series of books. <laughs> it's all about shameless Jesus. Plug. Yeah. Shameless plug. <laughs> oh boy. Oh man. Anyways, it's only been 21 minutes. I think we have time for the okay, next one. So hopefully the person that asked that question, we didn't really like crack any codes because there are no codes to crack, but Melchizedek is an amazing character in the Bible and it's about Jesus. So imagine that. If you're interested, you should read Genesis 14 and then Hebrews 7 and just kind of, I don't know, meditate on that. And uh, think the Bible about Project that. actually also has an interesting line of videos. Uh, I believe if you look it up, uh, the the like section of videos, because it's multiple. I think it's called the Royal Priesthood. Okay. Um, so that explains what, what being priest is like or what, it, what the purpose was type thing. Uh, and they talk about Abraham and Melchizedek within that a few times, actually. So, yeah. Uh, that's a, another good resource if you're looking to try and understand some of those, um, the intricacies of what priesthood even means within the, the stories there. So Totally. All right, we'll shift gears a bit to the second topic. And this was not a question that was sent in, but this was a, a conversation I had with someone a week and a half ago. And then I, there's, there's been uh, some tent revival events near our city that lots of people have gone to. Yeah. And then I watched a message from one of the guys that spoke at that thing. And so the whole topic is about baptism. And this conversation I had with someone was the guy that I was listening to said that we shouldn't baptize people in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit, but we should baptize people only in the name of Jesus because there's more power in that. And so the, the conversation, then I watched, not all of it, I'll admit, because it was like an hour and 15 minutes long. I'm like, buddy, wrap it up. But I watched probably 25, <laughs> 30 minutes of the, of the, the main part yep. of his argument. So his argument was, 
when you read Matthew 28, right, when Jesus tells his disciples to go and baptize, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, right, when we've baptized people here at the church, we say, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the The Son, Son, and and the Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit. and then we dunk them. But this guy's argument was, do you feel like there's something missing in your life? Do you feel like you have no power? It's maybe because you weren't baptized in the name of Jesus. And then he, he pointed to a few times in the book of Acts. We won't read all of them. But when you read the book of Acts, the apostles seem to only baptize people in the name of Jesus. And he was going, wait a second. So like Acts 2, right? Peter preaches this message. 3,000 people get saved. Yeah. And then he says uh, in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So Peter doesn't say be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins. He only says Jesus. And there's a few other examples in the book of Acts. And so this guy that I was listening to, he said, well, there's only two. There can only be two options. Either the apostles disobeyed Jesus, right? Or they received further revelation they received something that was unlocking some divine mystery. So mm. this person asked me, is that true? Have we been baptizing people wrong? Like the apostles all baptized in only the name of Jesus. I wasn't baptized in the name of Jesus. I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do you, re- how do you respond to that? What do you think? I, to be honest, it would probably be a very slow response because if someone came <laughs> up and asked me that, I think I would just be like, <laughs> Like my brain would be racing, not because it's like, oh shoot, they're right. But because like, where, where did they draw these conclusions from? So, uh, I think a good place to start is what is the purpose of baptism? If we're going to be talking about Mm -hmm. gaining power from it, is that even the purpose of baptism? Is it like, why as Christians is baptism something that is important to us? Why do we believe that Jesus commanding his followers to believe and be baptized? Why? Why is that an important step for Christians? I think that's where we should start. So there's there's a whole uh, line of thought that I usually go to when I think about baptism. But I'm curious for you, what's the what would be your like five minute sell on why to get baptized other than that Jesus <laughs> commanded us to? I love that. Other than he commanded us to, yeah, like what's that's he, a pretty big sell. It is. What what's the details that you would give yeah. with that though? Like, so why? yeah, yeah. It's the first thing that a follower of Jesus should do in obedience to Jesus. Jesus says, preach the gospel, make disciples, and then baptize them. So a really important piece of baptism is we want to obey Jesus, and he commands us to be baptized, so let's baptize people. The other the other point is that um, it's it's like a, it's a, an act that you do because you are identifying with a community of believers. Jesus could have said, go make disciples and then shave their heads. And we would go, okay, okay. that's yep. what we're going to do. Yeah. But so the, the, a really important piece is like, we just want to obey Jesus. He told yep. us. So, and, and when you're, when you're baptized, you're saying, I'm now a part of this community of believers where Jesus is Lord. Now there is some symbolism attached to it. That's why Jesus didn't say shave your head. Cause yep. that would make no sense. Yeah. Uh, Romans six talks about, the fact that when we, uh, this is why we baptize, baptize, <laughs> this is why we baptize people by immersion. So we kind of 
put them under the water and then we bring them out of the water. Yeah. Because it's this symbolism that Paul talks about in Romans 6 that you've died to your old way of life. Yeah. You've been crucified with Jesus and buried with him, right? Yeah. So when I push some push someone, when I when I put them <laughs> under the water, there's this symbolic act of you're being put in the grave. Yeah. You're you're dying to your old way of living. Your old self, your old who you were yeah. is dead. Yeah. And then when we pull them out of the water, it's this symbolic thing of you've now been raised to new life in Go Jesus. And tell. Yeah. So there that's why, you know, I would argue for, you know, baptism by by pouring. Or, or I I don't think it's like it doesn't count. I just think ah, it's not an accurate depiction. Yeah. Yep. But I like I know people who are like, well, I'm a quadriplegic. I can't get out of my chair and, and get in. the. OK, I'm not going to say like you didn't obey because you weren't immersed. I'm like, OK, yeah. they poured some water on you. I get it. Yeah. Same. Your heart is the same thing. Right. Yeah. But the whole idea of like being buried and raised to new life, that's why we baptize, man, baptize, <laughs> baptize, baptize people. So it, it is a symbolic thing. I mean, Jesus was baptized, so we want to be like him. Yeah. He didn't have to be baptized. He had no sin to, yeah. to metaphorically so, like. So even, even if you look, the reason I, that I've heard that he chose even to, to be baptized and why that's important too, is like you said, the symbolism behind it of, of being you know, going to the grave and coming back out type thing because of the power of Christ. But that's actually a, a, a motion that, that God's people have been doing for generations. So if you look back, like I, I won't go through all the details, yep. right? But if you look at the Israelites trapped in Egypt, what happened when they were finally brought out of Egypt? Moses led them through the water onto dry land, which they were heading to the promised land, right? Which was supposed to yep. be an area where God's people would live and prosper yep. in the sense of having life. And it would be like a luscious life filled yep. with everything they need. And uh, Paul they, talks about that. Yeah. He says they, they were baptized into Moses. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so then they, they sinned, they messed up in the desert, new leaders appointed Joshua. What's the first thing that Joshua does? He leads them through water, the Jordan yep. through water into the promised land, right? And there's tons of other examples littered throughout the Old Testament of this happening where God anoints a leader and they go through the water and, and lead the people through the water into yeah. the promised land or into the land where they can be in right relationship with God and each other mm -hmm. um, and sin no more type deal, right? Because there's, there's things around. So Jesus doing this act and then us as Christians looking when he commands us, yeah, obviously it's a commandment that Jesus gave us to do. So it's incredibly important. But it's not just this like, well, I don't know why we go swimming on Sundays when we choose to believe in Jesus. There's yeah. it's like you said, we're being invited into this community, into this this family of people who have said, yes, I have died yeah. to myself and come out on the other side because of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to make me yeah. a new creation. And now I'm a part of this community yeah. that doesn't live on the other side of that water anymore. Yeah. I, I live here in the kingdom. Totally. Right? So, yeah. So when I heard uh, like when you're baptized, I've heard people say, oh, when, when you're actually water baptized, that's when you receive the Holy Spirit. And I just think biblically, no, that's wrong. When you confess that Jesus is Lord and you are right filled, that's when you're filled with his spirit. Mm -hmm. So to me, and I'm trying to be nice, but it seems like a really cheap gimmick to be like, as I listen to this guy, I'm like, you know what you're doing? You're making it all about you. Mm -hmm. Now, when you it, you were baptized wrong, when you're baptized in a special secret way, then you receive superpowers. Yeah. And it's kind of like, no, 
Yeah. A, that's not what the Christian life is about. It's not about you receiving superpowers to go and do do really cool things. Yeah. Baptism is you dying to yourself and a symbol that Jesus is your Lord. So one, I was just like, it's this whole, it, it, this whole sermon that I'm listening to. It's it's propping up a whole worldview about Christianity that is not biblical. That's like. You know, Jesus did crazy miracles, and if you're actually going to be a true Christian, then you should walk around healing blind people, lengthening legs, raising people from the dead. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. It's like like those – that set of beliefs is like – I don't know. It's straight from like the X Men comics, basically. Yeah, where it's totally. Like, hey, you believe this, so now you have the yep. power within you, but you have the power yep. to do these things, and it's going to be amazing because you'll be able to heal people, you'll be able to yep. walk on water, you'll be able like all these different things that Jesus did. You can do now because you believe, and yep. it's like you got bit by some radioactive but, Jesus, <laughs> and you now have these powers. But then that's it, not what no. the purpose is at all. Right? And then everyone sits there listening to this guy, and they go. Yeah, I don't feel like a super Christian because I've never I've never healed anybody. Yeah. And then then he provides maybe this is the solution. Maybe you were baptized wrong. And yeah. then everyone goes, "Oh, shoot. Maybe if I was baptized in the name of Jesus instead of Father, Son, Spirit, then I would be endowed with some sort of super miracle power thing." And then this guy, I know that cuz I've seen this this happens. Then he invites anyone who wants to be baptized, come forward. And I watched the video, and I know that this happened because in the description of the video, 281 people got baptized. So everyone comes forward going, I was baptized wrong. And then they baptize people in the name of Jesus. And then you know what happens? Everyone goes home going, now I've got superpowers because I was baptized the right way. And then they go back to their nine-to-five desk job, and they go, oh, something didn't happen. Why why don't I have superpowers now? And then what it does is, is it places burdens on everyone that you don't have enough faith, you're not performing, you're not a good enough Christian. Yeah. Can you tell that this takes me off so much? Yep. Yep. So, so then, but we have to answer the question, why does Jesus say, baptize in the name of Father, Son, Spirit, and all the apostles baptize in the name of Jesus? He, Beautiful. Well done to bring it full The simple. guy's got a point. I think yep. his answer is wrong, but he's got a point. So yep. I think... He, he simplifies it way too much when he says, well, there's only two possibilities. Either all the apostles disobeyed yep. or they received super revelation. What are you looking at out the window? I don't know. A vehicle that doesn't usually pull into the parking lot. <laughs> into the parking lot. I'm, like, I'm like my dog at home. It's any time a vehicle comes in. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So what, what do you think? So Like how do we deal with that supposed discretion? So his observation of the physical letters being printed in the Bible about him saying, baptize you in the name of Jesus versus baptize you in the name of the father, son and Holy spirit. Yeah. That, that yeah, like you said, he's got a point. There is a, yeah. you can physically observe that if you read your own Bible. I think the thing that he's missing is the reason why you're baptizing them in the name of father, son and Holy spirit or Jesus in the first place. Right. Yeah. So when we, when we are baptized in the name of, I think that, uh, at least my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, this ought, this ought to be an interesting conversation. It's it's a it's a means of saying that you are going to now, uh, it's as if you're going to become an ambassador for that person. So then once, once you've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, 
it's this it's the same picture because we know that the trinity the father son and holy spirit are one right yep. so if you're going to be baptized in the name of yahweh to say if you're baptized in the name of jesus or if you're baptized in the name of the father son and holy spirit not of utmost importance the importance there as a whole picture, whether you're using either one would be that you are now coming into this bearing of the name of Jesus. It's like you have now become a messenger sent by Yahweh yep. to tell people of his gospel, right? So when yep. you're being baptized into this community, it's that you are now doing this in the name of this person. It's like you're a representative on, on the ground, right? So uh, say you sent me to... I don't know. It's, say you couldn't make it to, to somebody's, um, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Any kind of pastoral duty you had, say you had something else and you couldn't make it. And you were like, Corland, I think you got this. Can you go handle that for me? Yep. And I went and I'd say, Hey, I, Andrew sent me to do this for him. Right. Yeah. It'd be similar yep. to yep. that. It's not the exact same. So then, yeah. Does that, I don't know. Do you have yeah. anything to add? Do you yeah. have any? When, when Jesus says baptize people in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit and the apostles baptize people in the name of Jesus. It's the same thing. It's the same picture. It's synonymous because even when Jesus says baptize them in the name of, and I know this guy that I listened to said father, son and spirit aren't names. I'm like, okay. But the, the name, when he, when Jesus uses the, the word name, he, do, he doesn't say baptize them in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Spirit. The word name is singular. Yeah. So he's saying Father, Son, and Spirit, one name. Yeah. It's like and, I said, it's like you're being baptized in the name of Yahweh. Yeah, exactly. Of, of God. So when the, when the apostles then say, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, it's not because oh, they received some further revelation because they said, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like it doesn't, there's no the, difference. The, so even, can I just read yeah, the, yeah, go for it, in, my, in my study Bible, like if this is what bothers me about Christians is you have guys who, again, I'm trying to be nice, but they stand up and they say, I have this super secret word. And the problem is lots of Christians don't go and just check for themselves. Yeah. Cause I mean, he brought up acts 10 that they were baptized in the name of Jesus. <gasps> but if in my study Bible who, you know, the ESV study Bible is put together by really like 40, 50, really, really smart scholars in Hebrew and in Greek. Um, and so my little note says, um, Baptizing in the name of Jesus is not different from being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even though different words are used in the book of Acts, the meaning is the same because in biblical usage, a person's name represents their character and everything that is true about that person. Mm. The name, parentheses, the character and attributes of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is the same as the name, character, and attributes of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Matthew 28, 19, the word name is singular, indicating that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share one name. They have one character. So when when we when we it's like different, right? So when your name, Corlin, my name Andrew, yeah. it doesn't we use that differently. Like when when people say Andrew, my name doesn't represent my character and everything true about me. It's just my name. Yeah. Right? In the Bible. A person's name represented their character and yeah. everything true about them. Yeah. 
So when, when, when someone says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're baptizing you in the name of God. Everything that is true about his character and attributes, that's the same as baptizing in the name of Jesus. Everything that it, yeah. right? They, they have one name. They have, yeah. they share the character and attributes of God. So again, like Christians listening just do a, do five minutes of like yeah. Bible study, and, then, I, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad that you don't. But I just know I do this too. We just hear someone speak, and then we go, "Oh, well, that's it must true. be right." Yeah, he pff, he must be telling the truth. And that's that's why you even get the congregation, or you've said before to check what I say, right? Totally. Like if you're yeah. preaching and you're yep. like, oh, "I I don't know about that," look into it. Yeah, come talk to him, right? Um, I think the other thing specifically around like tent meetings and stuff like that, I think Christians can look out for. Uh, that are generally giveaways if someone is trying to promote their own special knowledge is one. Uh, if they are getting you to pay for this experience, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there is a chance, not not every time, but there yeah. is a chance that there could be something up. So uh, we always joke on the podcast around like, okay, so now I have this secret knowledge about how you can become a Christian or a super Christian by my book. Yeah, It's like, well... Why not just tell someone if you actually love these people enough that you want them to follow Christ and you want them to succeed on their Christian walk, tell them. Yeah. Don't withhold that information, right? Totally. That's that's not a Christ-like thing to do. Yeah. Um, the people that would understand you saying it to them would be the ones to benefit. And if people didn't understand, then you would know how that separates, right? Totally. Uh, another good way of knowing is if it's it's this, I have found... So uh-huh. to speak, the language of I have found that this is why, right? Yeah. It's it's one thing if someone is presenting a, a personal understanding and, and recognizing it as such, right? A personal interpretation. But if there is this, if there's any hint of that they have received personal, special insight into an issue in Christians' lives. Yeah. And they are the solution for this. Yeah. There's a good chance that they don't have your best interest in their interest yeah so use the example we just used of melchizedek i mean we look at that and we go man that's really cool the difference would be if someone said hey guys i was studying and in my secret place god downloaded some information about melchizedek that's going to change your walk with this jesus has been unseen i'm translating then stuff you just go and eh, i'm not interested yeah because that's not how god works like that's actually a very gnostic view so gnosticism is the idea that there's just like secret information about god that nobody knows and I know though yeah right and so anyone that says that to me hey uh, I as I was studying the Holy Spirit revealed some secret things to me that are in the Bible I go not interested yeah. no thank you like yeah but that's the problem is that people buy into that oh he seems so holy that when he says that the the Apostles had secret revelation about baptism and he has somehow cracked the oh well, he's probably telling the truth. Yeah. And again, I don't, his motives might be pure. He might go, I really believe this and I want people. Okay. I'm not saying that he's necessarily yeah. swindling people. Yeah. But you just have to, like, we don't believe in Gnosticism. There's not secret hidden knowledge about God that only the elite can crack and yeah. figure out. And if you pay them enough, 
Like, so sure, there so are there are hidden things about God that we'll never know. Yeah. But I just it bothers me. But God me. has spoken to us through yeah. His Word. Right? What so, we need to know is here. And what what can be revealed to one person can also be revealed to another person. Totally. It's not that there's a secret thing. So so a prime example of something like this. You and I have conversations like this relatively often, where as we've read through Scripture. Uh, God will reveal something or we'll we'll see something in a light that we hadn't seen before. It's not that there's special secret revelation, but one of us or one or the other will come and talk to the other and be like, dude, check out what I was reading. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Right. And we'll lay it out in front of someone else or in front of a group. I've done this with my other friends too, to go and be like, I read this and I think it connects in this way. What yep. do you think? Like, am I out to lunch on this or is this something that like, is there actually significance here? Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's something else is if you, if you look at most other, um, even religion. So, so to point out one, like, uh, Mormons, right. Mm-hmm. They have a guy who said that he had a vision from God, secret revelation, a secret revelation, yeah. and then from angels to show him tablets and, and these types of things that yeah. nobody else could see until he chose the people to see it right mm-hmm. o- around his, his his close group there's there's stuff there that should instantly say well i why like god has never worked in this way even when even in the old testament when he revealed to his prophets what his plan was for his people or what would happen if his people didn't turn back his prophets were to go and tell everyone Mm -hmm. everything right yeah so i yeah. yeah If it's super secret knowledge that has been given to one person that they're sharing, especially if you have to pay for a book, <laughs> yeah, right. Those should be legit. Like we laugh, but those should be red. Yeah, totally. Us, right. Yeah. So if you're listening, I guess to kind of wrap it up, and you you were baptized in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or baptized in the name of Jesus, it does not matter. The whole the 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 important part is that you were baptized in obedience to Jesus. Yeah. That's what matters. And there's not some, oh, if I just did it this way, I would unlock some secret. That doesn't exist. That's not true. Yeah. Um, even uh, come to church on Sunday because we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. See that cheap yeah. plug? But we're talking about this because, it, unfortunately, this exists where it's just kind of like, Mom, my life seems boring, so maybe I haven't unlocked some secret Holy Spirit power. No, 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 no. Jesus tells us in John 16, this is what the Holy Spirit does. So I'm not going to give away spoilers, but come on Sunday. Uh, So I just want you to know, like if you're listening and you think that, oh, maybe I'm not a good enough Christian or I'm less than because I was baptized wrong. Those kind of things don't exist. Um, If you were baptized in obedience to Jesus, congratulations. You were baptized in obedience. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. So. Don't don't buy into this whole hierarchy of Christians where I'm I'm super special because I yeah. X Y and Z. So, anyways, yeah. So it the other comment that just came to mind about this is if he is calling out in that crowd, uh, do you feel like there's anything missing? What about all of the Christians who have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and don't feel that random emptiness that he's talking? Sure. About, right. What What do you do with that tension then? Because it's really easy when you're in the moment and stuff like that, that if you have any feelings, any emotions that resemble what those people are talking about, it's like, Oh, everyone is like this then because of this, because Mm. we're all feeling this way. Right. There's almost a crowd mob mentality that, that takes over in those situations. Yeah. And so of course you'll feel driven to, to respond emotionally to that. But I, I encourage you take a moment and think like, is this, 
everybody at this meeting is thinking this because this guy is saying this or do all of my other fellow believers yeah at at various different bodies of Christ within my my living situation do they do they feel this same way hmm. right maybe before you jump on that emotional train take a second and take a step back and go yep. and talk to one of your friends and be like hey i heard a guy say this like uh, so so in reality the person that came to you was doing the right thing yeah, totally. of of taking that moment to step back and say i i don't know about this yeah, right so exactly yeah that's good yeah well hopefully that's been helpful and uh like we always say if you have questions or things that you're wrestling with please reach out to us through facebook or email or text or whatever yep and uh we'll keep recording these and this has been episode 85 85 wow. and we'll talk to you guys next week <laughs>